We're going to read chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, and then 24 to 41. So chapter 9 of John, uh, 1 to 7, and then 27, 24 to 41. This is the reading of God's word. As he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So for the second time, they, the Pharisees, called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They, the Pharisees, said to him, How did he do, how did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may, be, may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you, that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the reading of God's word. Um, so if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, uh, we're in the middle of the, the Gospel of John series. A couple of things. Uh, if it looks like I'm winking at you, I'm not. My right eye is twitching like crazy right now. So I apologize if it looks kind of awkward. Um, and also, uh, just... Thank you to uh, Sean and Daniel for helping set this up. I think Daniel's out there. Yeah, last yesterday. Um, so bear with us as we are online and for those here. Uh, but as we kind of look through this story, we're in the middle of the Gospel of John series. And if you've been with us, uh, we're kind of in the middle of the Gospel of John when Jesus is healing. Um, he, he's in, the, uh, in his ministry of miraculous signs and wonders. And this is the second to last healing. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll talk about the healing of Lazarus. But what significance does this healing of a blind man have to us? Because for most of us, if you're like me, um, as I was assigned this passage, it took me a while to get anything out of it because you're like, man, this is a cool story about Jesus healing a blind man. And that's great that he does that, but how does that affect me? That's the question I, I think Jesus wants us to ponder with as well, because when we look closely at this text, what we're going to realize is that there's not one healing going on. Uh, Jesus is trying to heal multiple people, and yet only one is healed. Why is that? 
Um, I, I love uh, movies. I love watching things. And I specifically love going to the movie theater. Some of you that were here, I watched Wakanda Forever. I drove like 45 minutes in the middle of the night to go watch it in a movie theater, Wakanda Forever. It was all right, uh, if you want to know. Um, but I love going to movie theaters because when you're in the theater, uh, you see the film completely different than you just streaming at home. Like, I remember the first movie I saw, in the, I don't know if you would remember, but if you try to remember the first movie you saw in the theaters, probably as a kid, uh, it could be a core memory because you realize, like, oh, it's a whole new world that's open to you. The first movie that I watched in the theaters was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, and I thought it was, like, the greatest movie of all time. Because I remember my dad took me, and, and the one thing about movie theaters you realize is you enter into a dark space with people, you know, and yet it's dark because you want to be surrounded. It, viewing is a communal experience in the movie. And you want to make sure there's no distractions. That's why it's dark. That's why if people talk, you, you tell them to be quiet. And you realize you can watch Star Wars. You can watch Wakanda Forever. You can watch any movie on your laptop and in the theater. And it's a completely different seeing experience. And so often for many of us in life, I wonder the way that we live our lives, the way that we see our lives is just like us streaming a movie on a laptop. This is the thing, when you, when you stream a movie, you can do whatever you want. You can pause it, you can answer a couple emails, you can DM a couple friends, and you're not able to fully experience what is going on. And often you may be blind to the actual showing that it's showing you. And what, I bring that up because this, I think the point of this story is that Jesus is trying to get at to us, it's not just the man that's born blind that is blind. That all of us are spiritually blind in one sense or another. Um, you have to realize that in the teachings of Jesus, all of his miracles and healings are to show a greater spiritual need, a greater spiritual brokenness. So if you remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000, you could ask, like, why did he stop at 5,000? Why couldn't it have been 10,000 or 20,000? Because his whole point was, although these people are hungry, there's a spiritual hunger that we all have. Jay, if you remember the last two sermons he preached on, he preached on the healing of the royal official's son. What is Jesus trying to get at? That there's a spiritual pain that we also feel when, when things are off, when our family is off, when our relationships are off. There's a spiritual pain that needs of healing. Right? Last week, as Jay preached on um, you know, just the invalid that was uh, kind of alone, what Jesus is trying to get at is just spiritual loneliness that all of us also have. And what Jesus is trying to get us today, he's confronting us with the healing that we all need, that we are blind in the soul. And, and you know, as you read this in first glance, it might seem like a singular healing, but as I mentioned before, there's, Jesus is trying to heal everyone involved. Uh, to give a quick recap of some of the verses that I skipped over, just because the story is a bit longer than usual, is this man is born blind, Jesus heals him, and then the neighbors say, man, is this, is this the same guy? And they send the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come to him and say, who did this? If it's Jesus, this is not a legit healing. And then even crazier is the Pharisees go to his parents and they say, hey, is this your son? Was he blind? Did Jesus heal him? And they basically say, hey, he's 18. You go ask him. Now, there's all these characters involved. And why is that? Because what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to heal everyone in this story. The disciples, the Pharisees the man's parents, and the man himself. We are all spiritually blinded. And, and we know this because in verse 39, at the, the, the ending of the healing, Jesus kind of summarizes his purpose. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, 
that those who do not see may see, and those who see, who see may become blind. What is he getting at? That all of us, in one way or another, we are all spiritually blind. Um, there's a sight that we have. It's not just physical. There's a sight that we always see that, you know, even if you think about your own life, there's things that you see that aren't just physical but spiritual, but are just kind of, it's, it's past a physical reality. So what I mean by that is this, um, if you were, let's say you're, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't study a lot in, uh, in high school. So I went to uh, a semi-prestigious college called UC Riverside, right? And I remember, shout out to UC Riverside alumni, um, but I remember, I, you know, when I was my junior year, all my friends who studied hard, they were able to finally reap all of that they sowed. You know, they're able to go to schools that they're proud of, and I'm still proud of UC Riverside. But I remember in junior year, I realized from freshman year to junior year, I, was, I, was, I didn't see the full picture, right? That me staying up late pay, playing Counter-Strike and not studying, like I didn't see that there's a greater picture out there that I was just completely blind to. And we, we all kind of know this, right? Like there's things that you see that aren't just physical. And what Jesus is saying when he says we're spiritually blind is this. He says in verse 5, when he comes to the world, I am the light of the world. What he's getting at is this. The spiritual blindness that all of us carry, whether we believe in him or not, is that oftentimes we do not see Jesus for who he truly is. That we are spiritually blind to the realities of what Tim Keller says, the reality of sin and the reality of grace. What Jesus is getting at is that, and we'll get into this a little bit, but the man that was born blind can see me more clear than all of you who have such greater physical clarity. Because all of us have a spiritual blindness to Jesus as our Savior. Where do I get this from even? If you look at the story too, one, one interesting thing uh, as we're talking in our staff meeting about our sermon, one thing that we're all talking about is how does Jesus heal the man that was born blind? Right? What does he do? He, and this is the thing. Jesus can do whatever he wants. He can just say, hey, you can see, go walk. Because he does that in other times. But in this case, he does something different. What does he do? In verse 6, Jesus says, having said these things, John writes, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. For some reason, although Jesus didn't have to do this, he spits on the ground. He gets the dust, he makes mud. It's like, if you think about it, it's kind of disgusting. And he pastes it over the man's eyes. Why does he do that? What is he harking back to? If you were a Jew reading this, you would automatically, two things would come up. Well, one, we know in the story it's Sabbath. It's Sunday. And in Jewish custom, you are not supposed to spit on the ground, right? So what Jesus is, first off, very clearly breaking the cultural stereotypes of the time. And we'll get into why in a little bit. But two... For, for any Jew reading this, they would realize when, when Jesus is spitting on the ground in dust and he's putting it as mud onto the man's eyes, he's harking back to the creation of how we were created. Genesis 2-7, I, I think it's going to be on the screen behind me. When God made us as human beings, this is how he made us. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What Jesus is signifying here is the blindness that we have is not just certain blind spots, but that we need completely new eyes of the soul. That without new eyes, that without a complete new recreation of how we see reality, we're never going to be able to see him clearly. When we fixate 
on anything other than Christ. What Jesus is trying to get at is, think about this, in, in the Garden of Eden, as these people were made, what happens? They're in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and if you don't know the story, they, they eat from the tree of fruit and knowledge, and they commit sin, and they enter into the pathway to death. What Jesus is trying to get at is this, look, we're all spiritually blind, and what you look at determines whether you live or die in the soul. What your soul is fixated on, that's what gives you life or death. And this, there's a great example of that I can come up with. I was on Twitter randomly. I don't know if this is true or not, um, but I want it to be true. So there's going to be a random video. If you're streaming, I don't know if you can see this. Um, but, the, okay, so there's these ants, right? If you're claustrophobic or whatever, I, I apologize, right? But these ants are in a weird circle, right? And they're just kind of following each other. And I was like, this is a really weird tweet. But it had like 500,000 likes. I was like, well, what is this tweet? And what the tweeter said was, these ants, who lo- they, they basically lost sight of their home, of their colony. And what happens is, what, with ants, they only follow what's right in front of them. And if they lose their home, their colony, they can walk around in a circle following each other. And basically, these ants are going to die. They're going to exhaust themselves to death, Right? I don't know if that's, I believe it's true, right? If it's not, I apologize. But the concept, when I, when I read that this week, or saw that, I realized in, in deep, deep reality, if we admit this, so much of that picture is so true of how we live. What you are chasing after dictates how much energy you put in, and it also, whatever you're chasing after, it's going to give you some energy back or no energy back. Does that make sense? What Jesus is saying is, if you don't see me, you're going to be just like those ants. If you don't get new eyes, you're going to be walking around in a circle, exhausting yourself to death. Because, I mean, the point of our church is called True North. I am your guiding star. See, whatever your soul fixates on, it leads you to certain blind spots in your life. So what I mean by this is, when you look at the Pharisees, Jesus is right in front of them. And, and this is the thing. Jay talks about this a lot too, Pastor Jay. But we always say, man, if Jesus was in front of us, like we would worship him. But the thing is this. The Pharisees knew way more than all of us combined about who God is in the Torah. And yet Jesus is right in front of them in the flesh, in full power. He says, I am the light of the world. And yet the whole point of the story is you, you Pharisees, who say that you follow God, you are blind to the Son of of God. Why? Because the Pharisees, they're more focused on their own power, and they're blind to the one who truly is power himself. And to get even, let me, let me peel back one more layer too. The unique problem that we face at True North and in the Silicon Valley is this. The more things that we can stare at, the more blind we can become. The more things that are present that we can chase after, the more blind spots we will develop. Uh, even when you look at this whole passage, and I know I'm jumping around, but I hope you get the gist of what's going on in this story. There's a, there's a fascinating power dynamic that's going on. That the more, if you think about who has the most resources available to them, it's the Pharisees. Who has the least amount of resources available to them? It's the blind man. And yet it's the one who has the least amount of achievement, wealth, glory, career, of anything, he is the one who can see Jesus clearly. Because this is the thing, you have to realize this, uh, why did Jesus pick a blind man? And, and I think it's this, it's to, it's to show us our situation. Uh, you know, 
blindness is like romanticized in the modern day era. Like, uh, and this is the thing, to be blind, it's still horrible, right? To be physically blind. But there's so many developments that help those who are blind. So you can have braille, you can have a walking dog, um, you, you, can, you can basically, there's a social net that catches you. You have handicapped parking or someone will drive you around. But if you think about it, back in the ancient Near East, none of that was there. None of that was there. To be blind was literally, you have nothing. No one cares about you. Your life is begging. And you don't even know who you're begging to. You don't even know if you're facing the right direction. But that's your life. The problem is we've romanticized blindness. But what, what Jesus is saying is this man is completely, he has no hope. And yet he is the only one who can see me clearly. Why? Because his soul is searching for something to look at to give him life. The more persecution the blind man faces, the greater clarity he has of Jesus. So I didn't mention this in the whole story, but he gets questioned three times from the neighbors, from the Pharisees, and the Pharisees again. And as he faces more and more and more alienation, his focus and clarity of Jesus gets clearer and clearer and clearer until the end he says, you are the son of man. What does that mean for us? I would say this, when, when Jesus in verse 39 says, hey, I've come so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind, it's a warning to those who have a lot in life. What Jesus is saying is this, those who don't have a lot, those who can't afford to live in the Silicon Valley, they are desperate. But those who think that they can see the world fit for themselves, they can never admit that they are blind. I would say this, there, a church in Iran, if you don't know Iran, there's heavy persecution to the Christian church, but they're facing a revival. A church in Iran of 10 people, probably a sharper clarity than all of our church combined here at True North. Because they're desperate. And, and this is the thing, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize our wealth, I'm not trying to criticize your achievements, but because we have jobs, because we have real estate, because we have the privilege of even driving here, or even streaming online, we have to be more vigilant to see Jesus clear. We have to be keenly aware of what our blind spots are because we have so much more in privilege. If you worship your career, if that's what you see in life, if that's what you're following, you know what you're blind to? You're blind to the success of others. You're blind to the success of your coworkers. You're blind to the success of, of a friend that gets promoted. Everyone is an object to move for your own gain. Like, I know this too. Like, when I was, a, when I was an intern in my old church, Another intern that I'm really close friends with too. But when he would give a sermon and the staff meeting would be like, oh, that was a great sermon. I, it was so hard for me to be joyous because at that time, and maybe even still now, ministry was an idol. And I couldn't, I, I was blind to the success of my friend. If you worship your kids, if you worship your spouse, if you worship your family, you're blind to their needs and failure. So what I mean by that is if you worship, you know, if you have a spouse or, or, or a partner or, or kids, if, you, if that's the only thing you see, the thing is you place so much pressure, you're blind to their actual needs when they fail. Because when they fail, what they need is you showing empathy. But when they fail, you're like, no, 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 you need to make sure you do better. So Eli, my son, he's doing, uh, or he tried to do baseball for the first time. And if you don't know t-ball for four-year-olds, it's just chaos. But, but like every dad is like, oh, my son is going to make the league, right? And I was like realistic. like, my son, just D3. That's all I want, right? And I, was, and I remember as, as kind of the camp, it was only five weeks, but as the camp kind of went through, I could tell like he just wasn't feeling it. 
he couldn't throw well. He just wasn't like, oh, I'm not about it. And I realized what I was doing when that happened is I would push him harder. And I was blind to, hey, he actually needs someone just to be with him and say, hey, it's all right. If you, blind, if you worship your career, you're blind to others. If you worship your kids, you're blind to them in failure. If you worship wealth, you're blind to joy. If you worship real estate, if you worship whatever it may be, and I know it's a touchy topic here, but if you worship material wealth, whatever form you come with, you are blind to joy. Because you think, as long as I receive this, that will give me joy. But as you receive it, more is available on the horizon. Joy never comes. And this is fascinating. There's just, I don't, I'm probably spending too much time on this. But there was a study done in Germany where 35,000 German workers, they were told, we're going to double your pay. Like literally double your pay. And what they realized is if, uh, if your job satisfaction was on a scale of 1 to 10, if you double your pay, you will, if you were a 6 before, you will get to a 6.5. And then it will fall back to a 6.2 in four years. And then in five years, you're completely back to the same spot, even if you double your pay. What the study was basically showing us is even when we think we'll get this wealth or this real estate, whatever it may be, it never brings you joy because there's always more to have. Jesus seeks us to see him so that we could have true freedom. So the question then is, well, how do we see him correctly? And this is a problem Before we see him, before our souls can see correctly, they need to be fully seen. Before our souls can see correctly, before our souls can see Jesus, they need to be seen by him. What do I mean? I mean this, we have a savior before he asks us to see him. We have a savior who sees us. What I mean by that is this, uh, what Jesus is asking of us, right? When he says, I am the light of the world. And and if you look through the story, he's basically saying, hey, stop being blind and look to me. What he's asking of us is extremely dangerous. If you remember the Old Testament, if you don't know this story, Moses is hearing God uh, as as they exit Egypt, and he's saying, God, let me see your face. In Exodus 33, 20, God says this to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. How is it and why is it that Jesus is saying, hey, look at me, I'm God. When the Old Testament says, if you look at God, you will be destroyed. Why is that? It's because of this. To be loved is to be fully seen. To be loved is to be fully seen. Uh, This is what I mean. Um, Art, I think, is so helpful. Uh, The reason, you're harking back to my movies. I love movies uh, because they're able, if it's a good movie, if it's a good TV show, right? Um, For example, like, if if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, one of the greatest shows of all time. The reason we love shows like that more than the action, more than the character development is because they help us see the world differently. A bad piece of art, like Wakanda Forever, I was like, that was like mid. Like it, was, it was really like, it was not, I couldn't see the world differently. I was like, it's, it's whatever. But good art pieces, what they do is they help you see the world differently. And there's one art piece that has always, kind of, if you might have seen this before, there's going to be a picture. Uh, one of the most famous artists of our time and very infamous and controversial is a lady on the left. Her name is Marina uh, Abramovich. Um, she's, a, she's probably the most famous performance artist of all time. Have you, have you guys seen her face before? So this is probably her most famous piece, where I think it's called The Artist Who Is Present. Now, in this piece, what she did for a week in the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, in New York, she sat there for a week, for 11 hours per day, and said, anyone can line up and stand in front of me, and I will look at them for a full minute, 
complete my attention, nothing else. And I, and I heard this, and I was like, that's, that's, who, who's going to sign up for that? This is in 2010, uh, and this is, this is proven. In that week, 800,000 people saw her. And, and I was like, what? This is such a weird thing. And, and she said in an interview, the reason I did this piece, and she, she's, not, she's definitely not Christian, but she said, the reason I did this piece is because in our modern day, as we're distracted from our phones, and this is in 2010, right? So it's got even worse. They're distracted from our phones, from our jobs, from our relationships. No one ever sees us. And what I want to provide for them as an artist is someone to see them for who they are. And it's crazy, right? If I did this, I'd be like, oh, it's kind of weird. But as people sat there, and you can look this up online, within 10 seconds, people start bawling, just bawling. And all she's doing is she's not breaking eye contact with you. And she's looking at you with a slow kind of smiling face. And, the, and the, the most craziest kind of turn of this story of this piece was this man right here. And this is the thing. When she's doing this piece, she's always closing her eyes and she's looking up. So she doesn't know who's in front of him or her. And then this man comes up. And this man is different. Because for the whole art piece, she is the one that is performing. And she's always putting it on a, a, a kind of, you know, just a performance face. But when he comes, her eyes change, and she starts bawling. And what you realize is they were lovers for 20 years, and they haven't seen each other for 30 years. And it's the first time that he is looking at her. And you can look this up, and why do I bring this up? Uh, we are so desperate to be seen in this world. And this is, as Jesus tells us, hey, don't be spiritually blind, I want us to make one thing clear. He doesn't say, hey, don't be blind so Go and see. He doesn't say that. When you look at this story, more than Jesus trying to say, hey, make sure you look at me, the whole point of the story when you look deeper is, I'm trying to look at you. What I mean by that is this. Throughout the story, and, and if you think about the whole life of this blind man who's born blind, he's never fully seen. Like the story provides that. This is how it starts. The story starts with, they see a man blind. Disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? For the disciples, this man born blind is not a human being, but an object of debate. Then the parents come. And the parents, it, it's such a weird part of the story. But in verse, um, sorry, in verse, in verse 18, the Pharisees come to the parents and say, hey, was this man born blind? This is what they say. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Why did he do this? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Even for the parents, they don't see this son as a loving son that requires their care and attention. They see this son as a liability of shame. He is never fully seen. Even the Pharisees, when they see this man born blind, you know what the crazy thing is? They ask him, hey, are you, were you born blind? They should know this. They were the religious leaders of the time called to heal and provide care for those who were helpless. And yet they are not even aware of who is this guy. Oh, he's just someone that we can use to take down Jesus. His whole life he is never seen but exploited, used, and trampled over. And this is the thing. That's so true for us. Even if our parents have been loving, even if our friends are always there, they failed at one point where we have never been fully seen. And what Jesus is trying to show us is, look, I want you to be open your eyes so that you are no longer blind, but know this, I am looking at you and seeing you completely. 
as he does with the, born, the man born blind. In verse 17, they, the Pharisees are asking him, hey, who is this man? And the man replies, he is a prophet. Uh, a prophet in the Old Testament time could also say he is a seer. He is seeing me completely. And, and what does this mean? When Jesus approaches us, and the thing is, Jesus comes finding this person. When Jesus approaches us, and wherever you are in your journey of life, what Jesus is saying is, look, I know you think you know who you are, but I see you for who you really are. There's this thing, what I, what I would call is the triad of self. And, and this is, I didn't come up with this, but it's just kind of my own thoughts. But we all carry three parts of ourselves. Who we want to be, who others see us to be, and who we really are. So you're following that? There's three parts to ourselves. Who we want to be, who others see us to be, and who we really are. And this is the thing. We spend all of our time and energy trying to match up the first two. We want to, others to see who we think we are. And we spend majority of our time hiding who we actually are. Our weaknesses, our shame, our sins, our blind spots. Because we're scared if that gets exposed. If someone sees that side of me, if my spouse sees that side of me, if my friends, if my church, if my pastor, then I'm going to be abandoned. We're terrified if anyone sees our true selves because then we'll be exposed and abandoned. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 to the blind man, I don't just see you to be a man who's born blind. I see you for who you really are, a man in need of a savior. In the Old Testament, no one could see God and live because he was truly holy. And even after Jesus, it's still true, but the only part that dies is your false self. God can see right, Jesus sees right past that. To, to be fully seen by Jesus is to trust in his love and to cast out our fears. Like, this is the thing. Jesus is always asking us, I see you. Stop hiding. But just like Adam and Eve, when they were caught, what they do? They cover themselves up in fig leaves. And what Jesus is saying is, put down those fig leaves because I accept you for all of your flaws. Everything, there's always something we're terrified that we'll get out. There's always some part of ourselves or some part of our history we're terrified that other people will know. And when Jesus says, I see that and I'm still here in love. The only way we can experience this true love is to cast out our fear. In 1 John it says, perfect love casts out fear. What does it mean for us? Right, and the blind man, think about this. When Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, he doesn't just heal him. He says, hey, I need you to walk blindly to the pool of Siloam, which was pretty far. Why does Jesus do that? Because think about this. For him to do that, with mud on his eyes, with not even mud, saliva pasted mud on his eyes. Think about the fear, the shame, and all that stuff he had to do. He was blind. He was trying to find his way to the pool. He had to ask random people, hey, do you know which way it is to the pool? And they're like, why do you have mud in your eyes? Just, just point me in the right direction. Think about how shameful that is. But think about how much he had to cast out that fear so that he could be seen by Jesus. Jesus is asking us to do the same to drop our vulnerable naked self so that we could be fully seen and fully loved. Because the thing, Jesus was blinded on the cross. When he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I can't see you anymore so that your children can see you through me. And what Jesus is asking us is this, can we drop those naked selves? Can we, sorry, can we drop our masks 
so that we can show ourselves who we really are to Jesus, so that we can finally receive the fullness of his love, because that is what we need. To put it really well, Thomas Keating, who's a a Catholic scholar, puts it this way. If we have not experienced ourselves as unconditional love, we have more work to do because that is who we really are. So we have a Savior who sees us for who we really are in love. How can we move forward then to see like him? Three, Three things I want to suggest to us, and we'll close with these applications. How can we see Jesus completely as he sees us completely? The first is this, um, we have to check our own blind spots. Check your own blind spots. What do I mean by this? Um, my dad uh, taught me how to drive, and it was very uh, anxiety-filled, fear-filled, uh, uh, a lot of yelling during that experience. But there was a lot of lessons learned. When I was, my dad was trying to teach me how to drive, one thing I would do in the beginning with my learner's permit, I would turn before looking at my blind spot. So I would turn and then look. And my dad says, if you do that, you're going to die, Right? He said, you always have to look at your blind spots before you move the car because you don't know what's around you. And nowadays, we have little you know, indicators that help us. When we're driving, we want to look at our blind spots. The problem is when we're driving our own lives, we don't want to look at our blind spots because that blind spot, that car in your blind spot are your fears, are your sins, are your weaknesses. What Jesus tells us to do is your blind spots in Jesus' gaze are no longer liabilities, but they're opportunities for unconditional love. The more you don't look at your blind spot, the more the danger arises. So how do we do this? Be open to those around you. Ask to be seen by those around you. When I talk about that triad of self, even at church, even your friends, I would would say, we're so concerned with the first two, who we think we are and who others see us to be. But find those who you can trust to open up to show you who you really are and to say, what are my blind spots? Because I can't see them. So check your blind spots. Secondly, slow your gaze of your soul. Slow the gaze of your soul. Um, When our soul has too many things to look at, as is true in the Silicon Valley, our gaze becomes hurried and self-serving. Because this thing, we'll just be like those ants. When we're we're just like, oh, there's so many, there's career, there's wealth, there's family, there's friends, and those aren't bad things. But if we're just so fast to be like, oh, I gotta see all these things, and I get FOMO, If you don't slow your gaze down, you'll miss Jesus right in front of you. Slow the gaze of your soul. How do you do that? Live an interruptible life. Uh, I talk about this a lot, but what I mean by that is this. Uh, We always plan everything. We plan our day. We have our calendars. And maybe some of you need more of that. But for the majority of us, live interruptibly. Allow the people around you to interrupt your life so that you're not blinded by the needs like the disciples are. Think about the disciples. They see a man born blind. They're the disciples of Jesus, and they say, man, is, let's, 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 let's have a theological question. Is this man a sinner or not? Slow your gaze so you can see the needs of those around you and so that you can see God in front of you. So check your blind spots. Slow your gaze. And lastly, a curious gaze is greater than a certain gaze. A curious gaze is greater than a certain gaze. What I mean by that is this. Um, in the story, one thing that's really emphasized by John is the word no. The Pharisees say, I know who God is, multiple times. And yet only the man who was born blind says it once in meekness. He says, I think I know this man is a prophet. What Jesus is trying to get at is this. When we are always certain of everything around us, we'll never see things for what they actually are. Think about this. Jesus posed 307 questions in the Gospels. He was asked 183 
questions by others. He only answered three of those. He asked 300 questions. He's been asked 183 questions, and he only answers three. What, do I, what does that tell us about Jesus? Kevin Young writes this, and, and my friend sent me this. And it was helpful. Jesus seemed to be about a faith that explores questions rather than defend answers. And this, this, this is true about theological things, but I'll say this. This is more true about your relational lives. Um, for example, I'm in, I'm in counseling because I'm, I'm messed up, right? I, I, I have a lot of things to fix. One thing my counselor always says is when you fight with your wife, make sure the only way you can see her correctly is if you are curious more than certain, right? If, if, if she's done something to anger you, if you want to see objectively because your emotions are running high, if your emotions run high, you're blinded. If you want to see completely the full picture, ask questions more than giving statements. Can we do that? in our relationships, and in our theology as well? Can we be curious more than certain? Lastly, let me end with this. As we kind of, you know, live our lives, and we're, 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 there's so many things to look at, the one thing I would ask us to see is this, Revelation 22, 4 to 5. And this is, this is the same author, John, writing the last, last book of the Bible. He gives a picture of heaven, and this is what he says. They will see Jesus' face, his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's keep our eyes fixated on Christ's future light to give us guidance for our present past. Jesus sees you completely for who you are, not who you think you are, not what other people think you are, but who you actually are. And if that's true, if he sees us, let us fix our eyes to him. All right, let's pray. Um, if, if you're online, uh, I would ask this. Uh, take a moment, if, if, sorry, if you're even here physically. Uh, take a moment just to reflect and to ask yourselves, what have you been looking at uh, in this past month? And, and this is, I'm not just talking physically. Maybe even physically. Maybe you have a problem with porn or, or certain lustful gaze. That could be true. But I want to go deeper. What has your soul been looking at? Right? This is the thing. I'm on Twitter. I know it's, it's, a, it's a turbulent economy coming forward. And I'm not, I'm not underplaying any of your job security, and, I, and we pray that no one loses their job. But in the midst of all this uncertainty, what Jesus is asking us is this. Can you look at me before you look at anything else? Because I see you, and I love you, and I accept you, and I want to save you as long as you can admit your blindness. So let's reflect on that, let's reflect on that a little bit, and we'll close in one song. To